0: Hey everyone, welcome to the way. This is Francis,
1: and this is Jason, coming at you from the DMV.
0: Woohoo! So I hope you got to hear the first episode of our Confessions of a White Pastor series. Um, we hope that it truly uh, just spoke you and made you reflect on a lot of things. And so now we're welcoming you to the second episode. And we have actually guests today uh, that's going to be joining us, and um, they are our friends and brothers in Christ, Don Medley and David Bickerstaff. Say hi, guys.
2: Hey. Sup. Sup. sup.
0: Okay, so Don is a young man that we met back in two thousand twelve when we were still living in Ohio, and he was actually here attending um, a church. Uh, that we had kind of formed a friendship with uh, with their pastor and so when we first moved back here Don was actually one of the youth leaders of the FCC uh, church that we were a part of and um, we just really enjoyed him and just like have like this relationship with him like that grew from that so and then Dave is like someone that we met through that relationship, through that youth group or young adults group, um, back in two thousand and fourteen. And um that we just kinda like also it was kinda weird. They'll talk about it later and how we kinda like got to really get to know him. Anyway, Don's twenty six years old and Dave's twenty nine. He's hitting that thirty years old over the hump thing. So he's no longer gonna be a young adult. Anyway.
1: <laughs> so just to kind of uh, introduce the elephant in the room, I'm the white dude, I'm the white pastor, <laughs> and really uh, <laughs> are you sure? And Dave and Don actually are two young black men, you um, good friends of ours. Dare I say, family members. And, dare you uh, say? Dare I say? Dare you um, say? Lots of people would dare I say, right? Don't hurt him. <laughs> oh you no, know,
0: Dave did
1: say I'm not his mom. Oh yeah, my gosh. well, that was years <laughs> ago. I love you, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Dean. All right, um, so check it. Um, we are going to have just some real conversation tonight, and uh, you know I hope that what shines through in this conversation is. The depth of relationship that can happen across racial barriers, um, when Jesus is in the picture, and so the first thing I want to do is I want to kind of let you guys kind of speak for yourselves and tell a little bit about your story because that's what this podcast has been up to this point is storytelling. Francis and I have been telling our story, right. and before we actually start to get to the meat of the conversation of racial reconciliation from the biblical perspective. Um, I want you guys to be able to kind of tell your stories of where you kind of come from and, uh, you know, what kind of led you down the path of a relationship with our family. And so let's get that kind of going. So Dave, we'll, we'll kick it to you first. You get started. Um, just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and uh, just kind of how your life kind of has played out as far as being a, a black man in America, and then I'll ask questions as we go.
2: Cool, sounds good. Um, so yes, um, uh, I'm a uh, young black man living in America, um, and uh, grew up in Virginia, Northern Virginia. Shout out to Nova. <laughs> um, I was a military kid, so my father traveled a lot for. For uh, the military and just working in out of the Pentagon um, and so we moved a lot mostly in the in the DMV area so um, pretty much just had my roots settled in Virginia right. and um, that's kind of where I found my first church home and which was the sister church home to the church that Don went to gotcha so that's kind of like where I met Don did a few retreats together uh, we're kind of like youth leaders together for some time and then, um, lo and behold, he introduced me to you guys, Jason and Francis. Right. And the rest is history, you know? What uh, branch of service was your dad in? He was in the Marine Corps.
1: Oh, you yeah. a Marine Corps brat, yes, huh?
3: Yes, yes.
2: Semper Fi. Gotcha. Do or die.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so you're a military kid from both your parents.
2: Yeah, my mom was in the Navy... 20-plus years, my dad was in the Navy as well. Wow. I mean, my dad was in the Marine Corps. I'm sorry. I mean, um, technically, it is the I Navy. Mean, <laughs> if we just get, don't tell the Marines nah, don't that, say that. You know? I'm not trying to get hurt. I'm not trying to get hurt. All right. But yeah, I, I myself was in the military as well. Um, I did my time with the Air Force, traveling the world, and just, uh, you know, exploring life. Where would you live age. while you were in the Air Force? I was stationed in Germany as my first duty station, Spangdahlem Air Base. Um, it's about an hour and a half away from Frankfurt. You okay. probably know how to say that. Yeah, yeah you got to <laughs> live there before you can speak speak yeah. the language. Um, but yeah, it was a wonderful experience, changed my life. And um, if, if anything, you know, it definitely rooted my faith even more, just being away from home at a very young age and kind of like in isolation a little bit. So, yeah. Then um uh,
1: would you say that being an American black dude growing up in America and especially like the experience of growing up in Northern Virginia, would you say that living outside of America kind of gave you a different experience understanding like race and how the world actually views you?
2: Yes and no. Like I don't think I I don't think I realized that until further in to living there okay. like it wasn't an immediate like oh my gosh this is a this is a, a culture shock but after kind of like living there for a few years you realize that the the climate or just the people in general were completely different the way they viewed race um you know racism is everywhere mm-hmm. um just differences in culture that's all over the world but there was something about i guess being an american if anything living in germany um you know, my skin color wasn't necessarily a factor as much as me being an American was mm. a factor over there. Okay. Um, so that was the big difference, being overseas versus, you know, being back home um, and just feeling that that pressure okay. because of my skin color. So, yeah, I mean, they embraced us with open arms over there. Um, they love black people in Europe, <laughs> from our music to everything, like the culture just, yeah. Okay. They love some black people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Like, I mean, can you tell
1: maybe, does one story in your mind from childhood or from teenage years or whatever, does it, does that, does there a story that stands out to you that you'd be willing to share of like a formative story um, in your life that kind of ha- has impacted your view of your own? blackness your own like sense of understanding of who you are as a black man in America.
2: Yeah, I mean I have stories for days. Um but a big one that kind of stuck out to me was um I'll say it was uh 5th grade in elementary school and just being on the playground. I went to uh again, I lived in Northern Virginia so we were pretty diverse. <laughs> um you know, we had Hispanics and and Asians and plenty of white folks and Plenty of black folks, but um, uh, just being in a diverse school. Just being in a diverse school, um, I didn't really face certain issues that a lot of other people faced. Okay. Um, but yet being a black man, you know, I think we all shared similar struggles. Okay. Despite where we lived, um, one of the struggles I faced was, or the first struggles I ever faced was uh, dealing with um, having someone call me a nigger, you know, just without any type of context or feeling any type of hatred from them. Mm -hmm. It was kind of just catching me off guard. Um, And I remember just, I remember as clear as day, like being on the playground, playing basketball and um, this girl, for whatever reason, we got into an argument and her response was just to kind of like, diss me by calling me a nigger. Okay. And... Immediately, like a switch kicked on in me, and um, you know, I kicked her. <laughs> I kicked her with no type of like remorse, okay. I kicked her as hard as I could. Um, how old were you? I was 10. Okay, yeah, I was in, the f- so my 10. son's age, yeah, yeah. And I knew exactly what, she's, what she was saying. You know, I was my dad made sure, you know, I was prepared to deal with the world, um, and he did his best to try to prepare me as much as he could. Um, but I don't think, as a 10-year-old, you you really knew what that meant. Sure. So that was my first real experience, and that I could actually understand what was happening in that moment. And I'll never forget um, sitting in the principal's office, um, waiting for my dad to come in, and he came in with his, with his uh, trench coat, He was working at the Pentagon at the time, so they had, like, these nice clothes that they always wore. He had a suitcase, and he came in looking sharp with his trench coat, pissed off. (laughs) And I was shook because, you know, he's a Marine, and they're, like, some of the baddest people on the face of the earth. So he's walking in, talking to my principal, and yells at me to walk on out of the school with him and get in the car. And it wasn't until we got into the car, and he turned over, and he looked at me, and he just said, um... So I never always always remember you never hit a female. But um, let's go get some ice cream real quick. And he didn't have to say anything else in that specific moment because I understood what he was trying to say. Right. Um he wasn't he wasn't um telling me that what I did was right, but he was telling me that he understood. Sure. And um we got to talk about it, you know afterwards but in that moment just feeling my father kind of like not shame me or focus on the fact that I hit a girl but he kind of like used it as a teaching moment for me mm-hmm. and you know my father made me watch Roots and we watched Malcolm X and all uh, all the all the things that you need to be watching <laughs> um to really understand the ways of this world um because you know history is important for us to, to really understand, you know, where we're headed. And as a black man i f- I feel like identity is something that's lost in the wind. Okay. So yeah, I mean I got plenty of stories, but that oh, that's yeah, that's, that's, the, that's kind of the mm-hmm. the the first story that comes to mind.
1: That's a pretty formative story yeah. too. Like it definitely forms the way that you kinda of move forward oh, yeah. in dealing with situations like that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. No problem. Don. What up? Let's let's talk, man. Let's uh, let's hear. You know, talk talk a little bit about yourself, where you come from, um, and then I'll uh, I'll pose the same question to you. But go ahead and start with telling a little bit of your story first.
3: Okay. Uh, let's see. So from Maryland, born and raised, PG County. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, same place you and Francis are from. Yes, sir. Um I went to school, elementary school, middle, high school, all in PG County. Um, definitely predominantly black county yeah. um, I'm a youngest of three um, I'm actually part Filipino, my mom's Belizean so she's half black, half uh, Filipino and um, you know the funny thing is I didn't really realize that until like middle school <laughs> it wasn't anything we were really talked about, okay. like my grandmother was always around, she's full Filipino but it wasn't a difference for her like I never put two and two together until like middle school right. and then when I found out I was just like huh so we're we're not fully black. Okay. Like we growing up I just thought like the Filipino food was so food. Like it was just a normal thing for us. I mean it um, kinda is. It That's is. Good. It is. You know it what I'm is. Saying. <laughs> but it's just funny, like, growing up and until someone points it out, you don't think about it. You right, know? It was right. that was just my Grammy. Like we she cooked for us, she took care of us. It wasn't she wasn't any different from my dad's mom, just the fact that she was Filipino, we never even like really discussed that okay so that was that was cool um, yeah I mean right now I'm 26 mm-hmm. uh, I find it interesting with these kind of conversations because of where I work so I work for a predominantly white company mm-hmm. um, in retail and um, when you
1: say predominantly white company you can you define that a little bit can you go uh, into the weeds a little bit on what that the, means
3: yeah most definitely yeah um, when I say white company, I mean you could think of your typical American clothing retail company. Okay. Um, from head of corporation, CEO, to district managers, store managers, 99% white. And let's
1: define that because I, I know what you mean. Like, right. How many years have you been working with the company? So
3: I've been with this company for seven years. All now. right. Going on eight years almost. Going on right? eight years. Almost so eight, years.
1: eight years. Eight years almost. Uh, you are actually a store manager, so you correct. run an entire store, which correct. means that you rub shoulders with at the district level and higher. Correct. Correct. And in your experience, what you've seen is that there are very few people who look like you.
0: That yeah, and
3: world. not even just black, but people of color in general. Okay. Um, from like looking at any position from store managers, from assistant manager and above, like having a person of color, um, is rare. Okay. Um. So yeah.
1: All right. So. That experience alone is a pretty formative experience. I mean, you spent pretty much the most of your adult life working for this company up to this point, correct?
3: Yeah, most definitely. I um, started when I was 20. Yeah. So, you know, even at that age, I was still figuring out who I was. Like, that's when I started following Jesus, and I felt like that's where it dawned as a man, and... As faith goes, that's where I really started figuring out who I was and um, what it actually meant to be a man, what it meant to be a godly man, which I'm still learning, of course. Um, But I think a lot of my teenage years and childhood years was always in the shadows of my siblings. So my identity was much more rooted into my family um, and my siblings and being like, oh, that's Mike's little brother or that's Jazz's little brother or Mike and Sharon's son. Um, so I never even had the idea or thought to figure out like, oh, who's Don? Like Mm -hmm. Don stand out on his own. So a lot of my identity issues or just, um, understanding who I was and the lack of who I am, um, came from being that little brother all the time and just having those expectations to be like, oh, be like Mike or be like your brother or or whoever. Um, it didn't help that we look just alike too. So people always confuse us for each other anyway. Right. Um, but, yeah, so I think growing up in general, um, because we're, I don't know, identity was a big issue for me growing up, just understanding what it meant in general. okay. can we
1: can do you think that maybe, and this is just I'm shooting off the cuff here, like, yeah. you made this statement about um not really identifying yourself as being biracial or multiracial, multi-ethnic in the sense of having a, an Asian grandmother, your mom being half. Um, do you think that there was a tug of war going on in your life uh, from a racial standpoint, as far as like the Asian side of you and the black side of you did was that would did, did those ever come in conflict in your life?
3: Not at first. Okay. Um, I would say that conflict didn't really hit until probably like my junior or senior year of high school when I really tried to em- embrace the Filipino side because I was trying to learn more about it. A lot of my friends were Filipino, um, and it was just interesting to learn this different side of me and like learn more about my grandmother because she was living with us at the time, too. So asking her about our family in the Philippines, asking about her heritage, it was um, definitely interesting to go down because up until that point of being 17 or 16 years old, all I knew was black. So to learn this other side of heritage, um, it was interesting. Yeah. Um, but I did feel that pull where there's times even in, I know Dave mentioned, you guys mentioned, um, the church I went to where I met you guys was 99% Filipino. Yes. And I started going there because uh, a couple of my friends, um, we were hanging out one day and I kind of knew who God was, but not really. We grew up going to church up until like middle school. So when they, and there was always something in me that knew who God was, like looking at the hindsight, I always felt like like God was kind of calling me from a young age, Mm. even though in church growing up, I just went to sleep after the opening (laughs) prayer. Like that was my ritual every Sunday. You can ask my siblings, it was like after that first prayer, I was gone. My parents like going to the early service, six o'clock, don't know why they did that, but I was asleep the whole Wait service minute, six o'clock in the morning six, we were there six o'clock Lord in the morning mercy black churches Gosh. get down early because they'll do a six uh, 11 wild but it was terrible bruh that's I too to, early. yeah i woke up for <laughs> i woke up for altar call and then a closing prayer and then we went on home <laughs> but um where were we going with this talking i'm talking about you knowing was, god and oh yeah yeah, yeah your, your yeah. experience at fcc so um, when I was invited to their Bible study, um, something jumped up in me. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll definitely go. And then eventually from there, um, you know, Jesus spoke some things that were pretty profound over the next couple months. And I started going there ritually, like every Sunday. And I ended up joining a youth group and the whole nine yards. Um, but just speaking of that tug between the black and Filipino side, even there in church, I felt like that tug was a real hmm. thing because... I don't look Filipino. Right. I'm black. Like, you know what I mean? Like, not to neglect my Filipino side, but my black side definitely outweighs. Well, visually. And, visually, right. and I'm black. And also, it's it's the more of my makeup. Like, I grew up as black. Like, okay. there wasn't a lot of, like, Asian influences in our house besides, like, the food. Right. So, like, there's, like, or you say, do or you do you do traditional Filipino things? It's like, no. Like, we're, we operate as a, black family like there's no addition to that and even my mom like a lot of people Mm. don't realize that she's blazing like she definitely looks more black than she does asian besides her hair Mm. um but then even in that church there was this tension from specifically the older people that it was like i was too black or not filipino enough for this church and it was a lot of times where i ignored comics or didn't pay attention to them because you know my goal wasn't to please them, my goal was because like this is somewhere that Jesus is meeting me at, and I I'm really studying and learning about His Word, and it wasn't everyone by any means, but there was definitely side eyes and um comments made from parents from different people, sure. um where I felt like the outcasts, and I think certain people intentionally made me feel that way because I was black. Okay, and this was in the church. In the church, and at this point, like and when I first started going, they were like. Okay, yeah, like this is cool. Like, you could come. Um, but I would say definitely by like year two, um, two and a half years in there, I think I was there for a total of three almost four years. That's where the tension really started growing. The novelty had worn off, yeah. Like, Damn. I was no longer just the token black friend that was just coming with the group of Filipino kids. Um, I was a member of the church, and it was just probably less than five of us, less than five people, five black people in that church. Um, it was You were baptized
1: there, correct? I was. And yeah. you also were a leader yep. for a period of time there. Yeah, correct?
3: and I think, honestly, me being in the leadership role caused a lot of divisions. Mm. Um, so because I was a leader of the youth and young adults, so that was from age like 12 up to like 23, pretty much until they're no longer single or they're under 30. Sure. Um, <laughs> So, first of all, let's just say I had no business being a young adult leader. I didn't have any type of training. Like, I was still figuring out Jesus myself. Like, it was a bad start to begin with. But um, with that group, the young adult group, we really started trying to follow Jesus together and really operated as a church on our own. Um, We had our own group on Fridays. Like, none of the parents were there. We were literally studying the Word, um, talking about our lives, praying with each other. Like, it was really good. Mm. But after a while, it's just... Um, the parents just had this kind of, I don't want to say this, but that's what it it was hatred towards me Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Um, like you would have thought that I was some demon, like trying to hurt their kids. Yeah. Um, and for some reason it was, they made comments like it's because it was because I was black. Like, I don't think I would have experienced the same type of pushback if I was Filipino or full Filipino rather.
1: Right. I mean, I I was going to ask you to share a formative story, you know, based on, you know, the fact that you're, you're black. I mean, yeah. you just did that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's interesting to hear both of you tell these stories because, um, you know, I've heard these stories before um, as someone who's in your life and, and you know, we're, we're pretty close. And every time I hear them or, you know, we rehearse them, um it just kind of makes me shake my head in the sense of like people are people, man. Like right. it, it and it and it transcends what I believe to be like the white black thing. Like it literally is just this thing when you when you don't look like the other person, there becomes this tension between you and them and people struggle with They struggle with the idea of of dislikeness. I guess is the best way to say it. Like you don't look like me. You're not from my culture. We don't speak the same language. Anything that that divides us is what gets emphasized. Right. And in both of these circumstances, Dave talking about being a ten year old and um, somebody, you know, a, a little girl, a little white girl, calling him the n word. Uh, on the playground this this isn't the 1960s right like this <laughs> yeah. isn't civil rights era America this is what year Dave
3: True. had to be like oh four5 maybe no no um99 2000, yeah. 2000.
1: 2000 yeah so <clears throat> this isn't like you know ancient <clears> throat> history throat> right right and where'd she learn that word from? right i mean like who knows? It, and, and 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 i guess that's the like that's the impetus that's the thing that is driving me to have this conversation in a podcast because this isn't going away right right like time is not healing this wound
3: no
1: and something's got to give and i believe that it's got to be men like us who sit together and reason together and for people to see the relationship that we have in spite of these differences that we have, right? You, like you guys have been like really enunciated these differences. And I'm going to tell my story of how about you guys and how I met you guys and how we came to know each other in just a moment. But like, I think it's interesting the, like how formative these stories are and how like palpable these stories are. And yet here we sit together, right? And that's a testament to how good God is least in my opinion that, yes sir right would you guys agree yeah, with that like yeah, this, like the fact that we could sit here even after those experiences and you know we could have lived together right because we lived in the same home together um, we've shared meals together you guys basically are like siblings to my children um there is healing and restoration and reconciliation in the gospel right there no. all of that is an, the implication of the gospel
2: <sighs> absolutely
3: and,
1: so what I want to do is I just want to kind of piggyback on the stories that you guys have told and talk about how we met. And you guys can interject and we can kind of make this dialogue. But, like, um, we we discussed earlier, Francis said it, when we introduced, like, uh, when we moved back to the DMV, when we told our story in the first two episodes, when we moved back to the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area here um, and we settled in a church, we had met Don first. And how we did is, while I was still in Ohio, um, we had this ongoing relationship with the pastor of the church that Don attended long before we came back here. And we attended that church when we were visiting. Whenever we came home to visit Francis' family or see my family or whatever, we made a point to attend the the church that Don went to. Right. And we had never met you face to face though. During right? Because it was
3: I think when I started joining, you guys haven't visited. Up probably up to not. The point we met. Yeah, probably
1: yeah. not. And so. Uh, apparently, Don was tasked with uh, with with a group of people to put together a uh, a retreat, and they were looking for a speaker, and you know the the primary speaker for the retreat. And uh, through a series of of circumstances, we happened to meet. Do we meet face to face first, or did we meet Skype first?
3: We actually met face to face. So, when I was tasked to find the um, speaker for the retreat, uh, me and the other two youth leaders at the time were praying. And we were also praying at this time for mentors. Because, like I said, like we didn't know what we were doing as a YA. We were doing the best that we could. Right. Um, but we we wanted to learn from someone. We learned, wanted to learn how to do ministry, how to be discipled, and how to disciple others. So, we were praying for that. And then a couple days later... Um, you were introduced during the service because you know the thing that pastors do—they introduce other pastors, other that are pastors an audience, right. yeah. Um, and our pastor at the time was just going on like how you guys do young adult ministry and all those things, and you're thinking about coming home. And then there was just something—I think it was the Lord—was just like go talk to him. So then I, my awkward self, I approached you after <laughs> service. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't awkward to me. But, uh,
1: yeah. So we met face to face, and then as it came closer. And you guys started to nail down who you wanted to be, the speaker. Don, with the other um, group of young adult leaders, Skyped me while I was in Ohio, and we had a Skype conversation, one or two of those conversations. Yeah. And we just kind of talked about, like, the theme of the retreat and those kinds of things. But what I what I felt, and I'm, I'm not sure, Don, what your take is on this, but what I felt was a kinship with Don specifically as we were talking through that process. And I was really excited to speak at this retreat, honestly. And, um, so we come home and meet, so what happens is me, Francis and Kylie actually end up driving down.
0: She's our oldest. Our oldest
1: daughter. Um, yeah. Shout out to Kylie and Parker. Hi Kylie. Hey guys. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Francis and, and Kylie come with me to, uh, to this event and that's kind of where it kicks off. And, you know, Don and I start a friendship from there. Right. And it actually, you know, blossoms as when we move here permanently, it actually blossoms into a full-blown friendship. And when Francis and I started to really pray about doing, uh, you know, ministry here in the DMV, you know, from all the story that you heard from the first two, couple episodes, um, Don was definitely one of those people who was in the very beginning stages of that planning process. And what was interesting is, is that through that process and through our time at FCC, Don had a relationship that was building with with Dave. Like, yeah. their friendship was building.
3: Can I, the funny yeah. thing is, uh, so both of our churches were six churches to each other. So, meaning, like, the Dave's church that he went to branched off from the one that we went to. So, we were both the token black guys of the YA. Right. So, when we joined forces as youth groups, like, went to each other Bible studies or did a retreat it was like oh another black guy right yeah. and so that's how our friendship really began like, yeah, yeah the that's, so it's, that's it's hilarious a room full of filipino like two white people and then the two black guys and that's so that's how me and dave started clicking
1: yeah and so uh one one of those um young adult meetings or gatherings that we had was at don's house and uh dave and some of his crew from virginia came over to this particular um night and uh, I met Dave that night, and what was interesting about that interaction is I remember distinctly uh, we'd broken up into some small smaller groups within the larger group and had some conversation uh, based on those smaller groups, and Dave and one of his friends was in my group, and uh, I remember the conversation, and I I remember how the conversation went, and I even remember some of the things that we were talking about. That's how vivid it was for me. Right. Um, but what I remember most was the reaction that I got out of Dave and his friend, because I don't know that they'd ever heard anybody speak the way that I was speaking about certain topics and certain things, especially with regard to leadership. And I was talking about leadership gifts and how gifts sometimes get, um, more attention than character and things like that. And, uh, the, their eyes kind of got really big and, uh. You know, it was a it was a good moment of introduction to the you know to these guys and and truth be told, um, that was the beginning of many conversations with Dave. It, right. it, it wasn't as a uh, quick of a kinship like I had with Don with Dave. Um, it was much slower. Um, you want to talk about a little bit about why that yeah. is? because I mean, Yeah. It, I mean... some good, <laughs> there's some funny stuff in there as to why it's, that is. But,
2: some hiccups along yeah. the way. Go ahead. Um, I know that. Um, well, with the specific conversation we're talking about. It, I, my reaction probably was very, you know, <laughs> um excited or exciting because that's exactly where I was at. Sure. At the church I was going to, I felt like um I wasn't really being acknowledged as Dave, but I was being acknowledged for my gifts and okay. my talents, kind of just being propped up as, "Oh, you're the guy who can put together events and dance for us and dance at our Christmas recital and yeah so i am a dancer um <laughs> been crumping a uh, style style known as crump shout out to my crumpers out there um yeah I've been doing this dance for about 12 years now and it's i kind of just um use it as a tool okay. in the church uh, It was just it's just a way for me to communicate okay. at the time because, you know, I, again, I was still trying to explore um, who Jesus was in my life. And he blessed me with that gift. So I figured, why not give him glory with it? Um, but that was slowly kind of like manipulated. Uh, and wait, we, wait, wait, wait,
1: wait. A leader in the church manipulated <laughs> you as an artist? Well, I mean,
2: yes, <laughs> yes. Unheard of, <laughs> unheard of. Anyway, go ahead. And, and granted I was young and, naive and I even i I wanted the glory sure. you know sure <laughs> so I didn't mind saying yes to everything mm, right because um, it gave me opportunity to be front and center right. but um what I didn't what I was at war with was also wanting that mentorship okay. from said leaders and wanting to learn more about this God that we're talking about every single Friday every single Sunday and yet it was kind of like you're still a lone wolf mm-hmm. you know? Um, so with that, meeting you and hearing how you spoke about leadership, it kind of just flipped everything upside down for me, as far as like, oh, there are people who care, like, beyond just talents and what I can do for the church in regards to my abilities, right? Um, and so, yeah, I believe that that's kind of like what hooked me into.
1: Yeah that was the start and yeah. then there what what was it that was the thing that brought you to our doorstep
2: Uh so I was um <laughs> I was in a relationship and um my girlfriend at the time we were kind of like wrestling with you know becoming serious in our relationship and I think we both agreed that we kind of like had no type of guidance mm. in how to do this in pursuing like you know just Potentially being married and things like that, there wasn't there weren't many options um, for us to kind of go to certain people, whether it be at church or our own families even, because um, that's kind of a weird thing apparently. Like, young folks don't really want people in their business. So yeah. when we were um, exploring that option, uh, you were you were you were one of the people who came up in conversation as far as like mentors, okay. and I had. Thought I knew what a mentor was, but I was very wrong. And <laughs> I sought certain people out for this specific reason. You know, I was trying to do right by, by God, I thought, and and my girlfriend at the time by seeking out some type of help and guidance from older men, because um, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Yeah, and I'll be
1: honest <laughs> with you, that's not a bad pursuit, man. Like right. that, that pursuit was a noble, a noble pursuit. So
2: yeah. Yeah, but it was a rough rough road. <laughs> Why is that? Um I think once once we hit the <laughs> ground running and kind of came to your doorstep, you know, we were met with the truth. Yeah. And you know, some of us were a little bit more committed than others. <laughs> That's the best way I could put yeah, it. No, I
1: you know what's funny about <laughs> that is you know, we're laughing and joking about it, but honestly, um like you said it, like young people a lot of times kind of shy away especially when they're in a relationship with someone you know they they shy away from having that extra voice right in that and and so the fact that you guys came to talk with me and Francis and to sit down with us and to you know just ask our opinion and like eventually say hey we'd like for you guys to be involved in our in our relationship to help us grow and to guide us first of all Francis and I are always honored when people do that like that especially from what y'all heard in the first couple episodes about our marriage and where we yeah. come from like um we're always humbled and honored when people come and actually ask us to intervene and and speak into their life this way, right? Yes,
0: because we are a hot we are a hot mess, a hot mess
1: <laughs> ourselves, right? So like so there was that element, but the other element that we saw was your hunger. Yeah. Right? Like there was a hunger in you um and it just Honestly, it just wasn't reciprocated in the other party. You know, right? Right. She just wasn't at the same place that you were in, as far as like what you were looking for and what you needed. Exactly. And and God worked that out. You know what I mean? He worked that out.
2: He always does. He always does. (laughs) Yeah, he did. Yeah.
1: I mean, and and truthfully, like we're we're joking about it and like we're making it simplistic. It wasn't obviously as simple as that. No. but, But he worked it out. Yeah. And so, long story short, what ends up happening is as Francis and I are preparing to put together this um, ministry that we're doing, one of the things that we had decided was that we wanted to have people live with us.
0: Crazy thought, right? Yeah, I I
2: don't know what what y'all were thinking. I don't know either. I
0: mean, honestly, that's just Jesus, because Jason's like an introvert, and I don't like people. So
3: (laughs) I remember that conversation when we were at your aunt's house at the kitchen table when we first brought up the idea of living together. Right. Because me and Dave at that point... We're already talking about living together anyway Right And then uh, We were in the Dave wasn't at the house But it was us three And we were talking about That Idea of Y'all eventually Getting a place where You guys could do that And it came to Somewhere in the conversation It ended up like Why don't we do it now? Right And (laughs) I think we all just kind of said it On the when At first Or wherever the phrase is
1: I mean, it was a whimsical decision, but what ended up happening is we really sat down and actually talked about the biblical implications of discipleship, right? And when we talked about that, what we discussed was the fact that Jesus lived with his disciples for three years. And there was like this holistic understanding of what it means to be making disciples. Like it was like, it wasn't just like on once a week, he he would show up and, and speak and everybody would walk away going, Oh wow, that was really cool teaching. No, he lived with these guys. Right. So when we talked about this, Francis and I would like for you to chime in on this, like we talked about this idea of discipleship and it being a holistic thing, but let's talk about a little bit of the, you know, the logistics and the and the the fears and all those things that came into play when we were discussing having two people one we we knew relatively but Dave honestly we barely knew him and we were going to invite him to come live in the house with us what 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 was that conversation like for for you
0: um I think for me you know like you said we kind of we knew Don a little bit more and we barely knew Dave right so there was the apprehension in that part simply because we didn't know him um but at the same time we also knew what the Lord's asking us to do absolutely which is to to go for it and you know we've learned it through our years of following him it's like when jesus says something we 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 follow we just do what he asks us to do right um and trust that he's going to work out whatever he wants to work out through it all you know so for me that was probably the apprehension is um just going further and that's like the apprehension for me is having men live with us uh simply because um i haven't gone to, through this yet but like and we haven't discussed this but as a kid i was sexually abused so there is like a fear of um obviously men in our in our home with our children because that was like a a natural fear for me through many many years you know um so that was my apprehension and one of the things that we discuss is making sure the boys know the guys knew that hey this is a fear that i have And obviously, we have boundaries; those kinds of things, simply because of what it does to me. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and I'm really glad that you brought that up, because what I wanted to be very clear here is the fact that these two guys are black was never a part of our conversation, not once.
0: No. Right. There was never because our guys. Right. There was never any
1: like racial implication in our decision making. And I think to the outside world, that was very strange.
0: Very. Right? Like, (laughs) to people who were observing
1: us from the outside and the decision-making that we were doing, that was a very strange component to this, was that we had two young black men that were going to come live in our house. And that that, the fact that they were black, was never even part of the conversation.
0: No, because, I mean, even, like, if you listen to the last episode, um, my always thoughts were, like... It's not about, like, like, let's say, oh, this and that happens because of black people. It is because, you know, people happen to be jerks. So I don't care what color they are. Sure. They're, you know, if they're jerky, they're jerky, you know? I mean, that's, like, how I see it. So, you know, them being guys and that as a guy was the one that abused me, that was a fear, yeah. you know?
1: And so we navigated that, obviously, prayerfully. And like you said, you said it perfect. Jesus basically told us to do this. Yep. And, uh, so we embarked on this journey together where Dave and Don actually moved in. We were actually renting a house first and, uh, they moved in with us. And, uh, that was, uh, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. (laughs) Okay. So
0: we're laughing because we have so many stories that we want to tell y'all right now on not even just like this specific, uh, specific topic, but just, Life in general. Yes. Yeah. So it's pretty funny. And we're just so grateful that we kind of survive all that
2: together. Yes.
1: <laughs> but what I want to do based on that is, is is that not only did you guys live with us in that house, but you moved with us to our, our house that we live in now. And we spent three years together right. living under the same roof. And so let me ask you guys. So for us, on our side of the fence, you know, as Francis and Jason... Uh, you know, there was no racial component. You know, we did kind of see and experience a little bit from the outside, people having kind of a weird understanding of it. What about from your guys' perspective? Don, I'll start with you. Did you, what did you get from people as far as living with Francis and I and how that dynamic works? And Was there any racial component to that?
3: Uh, Yeah, there was. Um, I guess I'll start with myself, too. Like, there wasn't for me. Right. Um. I think it was different with you being white Um, and not in like even a negative way. It was actually refreshing for me, I think, because it was like I never experienced it. But I didn't even after a while, after our first initial meeting and when we actually became friends, it wasn't about you being white anymore. It was like, oh, you're just Jason. (laughs) We're cool. Like you're mentoring me. Um, But I think ever since you started mentoring me and then it got heightened when I moved in with you guys, there was um, talk about... Us being a cult and just all these other different things <laughs> like um, you stole me from the church and all this other crazy do stuff. Do you think
1: that that cult talk had to do with the fact that I was a white man?
3: I think 100% it did. Okay. Because let's say if I moved in with Dave and we decided to take um, and start our own church there, they wouldn't have said the same thing. They wouldn't have been like, they were like, oh, you're just moving with your friend. Like, you're moving with people that you know and people that are like minded. But I think because you were white, they were just kind of like, oh, oh, everybody calm down. What is he doing? He's going to go crazy. And I was just like.
1: And look, Francis has made it very clear to me that uh (laughs) that stereotype does have some merit
0: well it does most cults are led by white men (laughs) let's go ahead and make let's go ahead
1: and put that asterisk out there like like uh that's
0: not a racist thing a prejudice thing that's like facts out there yeah
3: yeah yeah and i think it was just and the funny thing is no one ever had the boldness to actually say it to my face okay it was all slide, slick comments. Or innuendo. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you're moving with them? Yeah, what about it? You know what I mean? It was just very undertones. So what
1: gave you the impression that it was racially related?
3: The one thing, because they will always mention you. Okay. They would never mention Francis. It was always like, That's "Oh, you're doing I'm awesome." <laughs> it was like, "Oh, you're moving in with Jason." Like Jason, and <laughs> yeah. I'm like, "Yes, Jason." Like, oh, yeah, yeah. no matter how you say his name, it's still his name. <laughs> you, know what I mean? like, you can break it down to five different <laughs> syllables. He's still white. Like, it yeah. <laughs> doesn't make a difference. All right. How
2: about um, you, Dave? Yeah, but I think uh, similar, but also kind of like on a on a different level to Don. I grew up with a lot of Asians. (laughs) So the question wasn't so much about you being white. It was just why? Mm -hmm. Why is this stranger letting you live with his family? Mm -hmm. Like, and that was even more powerful um, to kind of have those conversations with some of my friends um, across the bridge and living in Virginia, just like to say like, because this is what Jesus told him to do that that held a different kind of weight and kind of smacked them in the face a little bit um in the sense of were these
1: like, folks who had some sort of like church background yeah or, yeah
2: we art. all we all kind of grew up together and we all went to the same church um so we all had some type of understanding of uh the the word of god and 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 um, who he was but um again that that um the fact that their culture and their lifestyle kind of had this intentionality of you stick to your own kind, you stick to mm. you know those that are in likeness of you, sure. whether that be through language, uh, region, whatever, or skin color. The skin color portion never came up in conversation, but just like Don said, it was it was always inferred as like su- su- subtle jabs, especially from leaders okay. in my life, um, people who I who I was seeking out as mentors and just people who I had looked up to to as leaders kind of like we're side-eyeing the whole situation like asking me are y'all a cult and things like that because (laughs) of my hunger to pursue a mentor and your willingness to open your home that flipped everything upside down for folks because I'm I'm a very passionate person and I have no shame in being that guy Mm -hmm. so when I would talk about the situation with others there was a little craziness like Yo, I'm about to do this because I've got nothing, you know, like Jesus is all I got. I was at the lowest of lows in my life and I recognized I can't pick myself up. So to have someone who people would consider a stranger come and say, hey, let me join you on this walk. Let me join you and kind of help you along the way. um, That was welcoming to me. But I understand why it was alarming to others yeah. because it's a foreign concept. Just in our culture.
1: No, I agree with you. I think I think what you both are expressing is the the meat and potatoes of what I talked about in the last episode about how one you know the uh, one of the major implications of the gospel and the transform transformed life of a Christian is that you know you are Christ's witness to the ends of the earth, right? And so because of that, that's going to include cross cultural understanding, cross cultural. Right. Um, experience right and so what happens is is even people well-meaning people in, in the body of Christ right and well-meaning Christians will still kind of pigeonhole themselves into these kind of planish or groupish types of situations where they will only be around people that they look like talk right. like act like you know whatever and very rarely is it emphasized or even propped up as a priority to Go across those cultural lines, right. right? And so the intentionality of what you're describing, Dave, and Don, what you're describing, when Francis and I sat down to talk about this, you know, and especially when we talk about coming home, like one of the major aspects that I really felt um, that, that Jesus had really birthed in my heart was to come back to my home community, which is predominantly black, right? right? And to have relationships with people who are not like me and to be able to disciple people who are not like me, right. which I know is unbelievably unpopular, right? Like, which I know people look at crazy, you know what I mean? And, and square eyed. Um, but I really felt strongly that this is what God had called our family to do. And, uh, you know, you guys are living proof of that. And uh, I believe that God had knit our hearts together in that those very early stages to, to do this. And so let's talk about what it was like living together. You know, let's, (laughs) let's, uh, you know, Don, you mentioned this, like the refreshing aspect of, of me being a white dude and you, you know, you never having necessarily been that close to someone like myself. Let's talk about what it was like for you on a day-to-day basis in our home. Was there, was there ever like a a day-to-day, uh, like reminder of that racial difference, that cultural difference Can you think of anything that we experienced coming up in the house in those three years where that cultural difference was glaring to you?
3: No, not really. Um, I think the only time I'm reminded of the cultural difference, besides in our conversations where we're actually talking about culture, um, when other people point it out. Yeah. So... When we're out and we get stared down weird, like even if it's just like me, you, and Dave going to go get some food or, um, y'all come even, to one of the kids, yeah. yeah. So, fun story uh, when Caleb turned, it had to be like six or something, he was still in pre K. So, me and me and Dave went to the school with Francis to, you know, get his cake. graduation and, or it birthday? was, his, birth, it was birthday, his birthday. We okay. were taking cake up there and. As soon as we walk in the room, and they're like, oh, this is Caleb's mom, and here is the family, and, like, all his little kids are, like, whispering. They're just like, they're like, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? <laughs> and it's like, obviously, we don't look like Caleb, <laughs> and they just like, is that your dad? Is that not your dad? And, like, they were just so confused, and, like, kids are being kids, just innocent kids. They're just curious. Yeah, and it's, I imagine what we look like from the outside, like, so we have, Husband and wife that's white and Filipino, some mixed kids, then two black guys. (laughs) Like, it's a mixed bunch. But, like, the looks that we get is just, like, it's not like, oh, that's cool. It's multiple people getting along. That's a family. Like, they don't know if we were adopted. Like, they don't know our story. I think one of... Sorry, sidetrack. I think one of the things that used to really piss me off when people used to act like, um you taking me and Dave in for us to live with you was like me and Dave were some black delinquents that you were in some type of big brother program and like that used to piss (laughs) me off like no like me and Dave aren't on the brink of going to jail we not on drugs we don't we're not doing a big brother program like we willingly decide to do this. this isn't something that someone set up for us but yeah just like I wasn't really reminded of that stuff until others other pointed out out. Yeah. yeah
1: You know, what's ironic. Let's tell the funny story. Because, I mean, that was a good story, Don. But the <laughs> funny story is actually the better understanding of the weirdness of the circumstance. Okay, so- tell him, Tell him, Don. The-
2: so, yeah.
3: when, like we said, when we first started living together, for the first year, we rented, to, rented a house in Oxon Hill in Maryland. And then stuff went down the house. So we, Francis and Jason, decided to start looking to buy, to plant the roots. So, um, often Francis would go look at houses and while I was at work. While Jason was at work. Right. So between me and Dave, whoever was free would go with her and just help go with her with looking at the house. Um, so she's not by herself, her and Kayla was by themselves, like looking at houses. So we went to this house in Bryan Rose, Maryland, which is like Southern Maryland. And so me and Francis would go look at the house and we're like, Okay, cool, like nothing was weird. Like they asked us questions and um, everything was normal, so we go back. And we liked the house. So it was like a couple days later or maybe even the next day, she was like, oh, we got to take Jason now. So we go with Jason. Frances walks in the door. Then I walk in behind her. And then the realtor or the lady selling the house looked at Jason and was like, oh, this must be you guys' realtor. And we were (laughs) like, wait, what? (laughs) So like this whole time, like we spent like 30 minutes with this lady a couple days ago. I guess she thought me and Frances were husband and wife and Caleb was Mm -hmm. our kid. But I'm like... Caleb looks white and Asian, you know what I mean? So I'm black, Francis Filipino. I don't know how she thought Caleb was a byproduct of that. And then her first assumption when she saw Jason was, oh, this is your real estate agent. We were like, um, no, he's the one buying the house. Like, he's the one that's signing the papers. Yeah. Like- Honestly,
1: I think that right there, as funny as that story is, is that's indicative of... I guess that story's a trip, but it's also indicative of, like, how our culture views cross-cultural relationships and friendships like the depth because we're family like we call yeah. ourselves family right. the four, like right Dave I yeah. mean like Don you would agree with that right like we, yeah 100%. we are family so like we roll and rock like family yeah. when we go places we go places together we go out to we eat together beach. we go <laughs> exactly and it's funny because People look at us when we go places because we got our kids and then we got y'all and then it's, it's a, like and we all roll, roll up in the same van typically. You know what I mean? Like, and <laughs>
0: you know, yet in my, in my little mini van. people
1: people look at us with this uh, confused, yeah. uh,
3: and not even try to hide it.
1: Right, right. Like, like they, it's definitely a state of confusion, but it's not something that they they're not ashamed of that confusion. Right. They are they are abs- like. How dare you almost. Yeah. You know what I mean? That it's that's the feeling that it gets. And it's like
3: Or even when I go we go with Jason and pick up food from certain restaurants and when he orders and he gets stared down because he's white and we're just like, say something. Like <laughs> like this is our boy. Like say something. Like I dare you to say something to him right now. Yeah. Like,
1: and 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 it's funny, like I that's a whole other conversation, but what I appreciate in what you just said, Don, is the fact that we're standing there next to each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we're in these moments together because I'm sure there's times where they, it's the opposite and I'm standing there next to you feeling the exact same way right you know what I mean and I think that's the na- that's the nature of our relationship if you guys would agree with that like we we hold it down for each other like right. and that and that's the family part of it and um so oh, you,
0: believe me I'll be the first one <laughs> <laughs> so, so
1: so from there you know we live together and we have this this relationship was it easy living together? Definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> no.
0: Plenty but it's not even for any of the reason that we're talking about. It's no,
2: just people living yeah, with other people. Yeah. Yeah. And Dave, when,
0: Dave and I are the hotheads. Yes.
2: Hot heads up. <laughs> so uh, You know, yeah. I, I
1: I think well let's talk about that, Dave. What what the idea that the you know most people would look at us and and think that the racial component would be like the biggest kind of like eyesore or the elephant in the room, so to speak, right, but what we realized is that that didn't have a, that didn't play in anything that we were talking about as far as the difficulty in living together. What was some of the issues that we dealt with living together?
2: Oh man, um <laughs> I think just the fact that we didn't grow up together we we were strangers okay um and kind of like. Myself, speaking for myself, I had been living on a survival mode for such a long time. um, I only had to care about myself, and I only had to worry about myself. So living in a house um, with others, especially those who were trying to kind of like guide me along my life, in the weeds of my life, not just surface level stuff, um, was a delicate issue Mm. that when was approached or confronted, kind of had passion in it and... (laughs) Um, expressive reactions in our conversations <laughs> um, but I think that what it what was very telling was the fact that we, we never walked away from each other or like ran away although there was probably like times when I probably felt like you know alright this really isn't gonna work like clearly I'm not like them they're not like me I don't know if we understand each other this and that and the third Maybe it's best if, X, Y, Z, but the fact that we were all rooted on kind of doing this for Jesus and with Jesus made it enough. Mm. Um, and that was our centerpiece to always come back to. And I'm grateful for that because um, I didn't want to go back to survival mode. I didn't want to be the lone wolf. I didn't want to um, walk alone anymore. I've been doing that for, for some time until I met you guys. And joining different groups and moving from group to group, trying to figure out where I fit in, uh, where Jesus wants me to fit in. And, you know, aside from that, even just relationships with people outside the house definitely affected the house. Um, you know, just adjusting how I expected my life to be versus how you guys already had your kind of like rhythm of life. Um, I had to do a lot of uh, self-evaluation mm. and recognizing that in my alone time I had became selfish and I had became kind of like just isolated yeah even while I'm living with others I could still be isolated yeah and that um, that was the elephant in the room for me yeah you know that was that was that was the topic of a lot of our conversations about consideration and being compassionate towards one another so yeah man most of, most of the stuff that we dealt with was heart issues yeah
0: yeah definitely not at least on our end or at least my end is like it was never about like the race at all right it's more just like you said like thinking of others mm-hmm. you know and um, I think that I mean that's really I think the hardest part of living with each other right or even in the race reconciliation uh, topic is that people don't want to really get to know the other person yeah you know to really know where they're coming from the baggage that they come from the history or any of that sort so there's never it's always surface Mm -hmm. you know and so you never get to know the other person to know their story to appreciate who they are as a person
2: right
1: and i think wow like what you just said both of you um is the key element to what I believe to be the answer in the conversation of uh, race relations in our culture. And that is, you said that there were moments where I'm not, you know, I recognize that they're not like me, I'm not like them. And there was a temptation to move on because of that thought process that I think exists in our culture on the regular. Yeah. Whenever there's racial frustration or whenever there's issues where people think that way, where they're not like me, they don't see life the way that I see life or whatever. But you said this statement, and Francis just backed it up. The The different component to this relationship is that it was centered on Christ. Right. And that is what brought us together.
0: And that's why kept us together. That's the
1: message 100%. of reconciliation. Yes. 100%. Right? That's, that's the... I mean, Christ is the glue of reconciliation, right? And that's what we, the scripture that we talked about from 2 Corinthians 5 last time, that transformation, and then him providing us that ministry of reconciliation, he's the center of that, right? And because our relationship was centered on that and those moments where you know, say me and Dave step outside in the backyard, and <laughs> and we kind of you know have some Words. some very gentle conversation,
2: <laughs> um,
1: or I when Francis, the the, it was very gentle. <laughs> when right. Francis and Dave would have their little uh, you know passionate discussions. Yes. Um, you know when Don and I would would get get in the car and go for a drive, and we would have these very lengthy. Um, heart-to-heart conversations about identity. Don, you mentioned that earlier. Like We spent a lot of time talking about identity. And the interesting thing is, here's the interesting thing. I'm not a black man, right? And yet I'm talking to a black man about his identity. Right. Right? And the reason I can do that isn't because I'm black or I'm white or whatever. The reason why I I can have that conversation with confidence is because Don's identity is found in Christ. Right. You know what I'm saying?
3: And and Jason says that not in the sense of neglecting the race. Exactly. It's not saying that the race doesn't matter because we understand where we come from. Where we come from is very specific because God made us a very specific way. Right. So I was born black and a quarter Filipino with a purpose. Yes. But also, I don't live in that. I don't dictate my life because I'm black or because I'm part Filipino. I don't make decisions on a daily as far as I'm going to have this job because I'm black. It's like, no, how is Christ going to be glorified through what I'm doing with my life? Yeah. Like, that, that's the stuff that matters. That's a paradigm shift, yeah. right? Because, yeah. like,
1: typically our world would, would would impose upon us the view that our race, our racial makeup, kind of dictates the path that we take. Yeah. Right? That's the whole conversation about white privilege. That's the whole conversation about um, critical race theory. Like, all of that is, is like... It, what it does is it basically pigeonholes us based on something that we can't even control, right? Like right. you can't you couldn't control how you were born. I couldn't right. control that I was born white. You know what I'm saying? So like when I say that conversation centered around identity and that I was confident to have that conversation with you, Don, you hit the nail on the head. It's because we celebrate those differences, right? right? Like in this house, we would have those lengthy conversations about culture and sharing from the perspective that you guys came from and the perspective that I came from as a white man, right? Right. We celebrated those differences. And at the same time, what we did recognize was the fact that our identities, no matter what our color is, are found in Jesus Christ because he's our creator. Right. And that's the beauty of how our relationship went down for those three years living here together and how it's kind of carried on, even though you guys are out doing your own thing now. Yeah. Um, what I want to do now, now that we've kind of established that um foundation of our relationship is I want to kind of talk through some scripture and have a conversation now that's more kind of teaching oriented if you guys are alright with that. Yeah. All Did
3: right, so pastor?
1: All right, so so Luke chapter 10 um is a very famous chapter in uh the scriptures and it's one of the most uh famous stories in scripture um Uh, the story of the Good Samaritan, and it's from verses 30 to 37-ish in the scriptures. Um, Basically, what this is, is a a story or an illustration, a parable that Jesus is telling. And um, he makes some really direct racial statements in this story that often get overlooked or, or get often kind of brushed over. Uh, in conversations like we're having right now that I want to kind of point out uh, because there's some really interesting truths in this parable. So verse 30 says, Jesus replied with an illustration, and he's replying to um, this, I, this 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 um, conversation about the most important commandment. Jesus and the Pharisees were having a conversation, a back and forth, about what the greatest commandment is, and they talk about, you know, not not from the 10, but actually from uh, Deuteronomy 6, which I mentioned in last episode, right? And Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, one of the guys is like, all right, Jesus, then who's my neighbor? And so in response to that question, Jesus says, oh, okay, well, here we go. Jesus replied with an illustration. A Jew, a Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. So right off the get, Jesus establishes that he's a Jewish man and he's traveling to Jericho. He's attacked by bandits and they stripped him of his clothes and money. He got robbed and uh, he was left dead on the side of the road. Left for dead. By chance, one of his brothers, a Jewish priest, came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, someone else, someone who works in the church, so to speak, right? Walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side of the road. And the implication of the temple assistant is he's also Jewish. Then a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt deep pity, empathy, right? He felt empathy for this man. Jesus with this third guy, Jesus is making a statement, man. Let me tell you. By saying that this guy is a Samaritan, what he is saying is his racial makeup, he's despised. Why is he despised? Well, the Samaritans, to a Jew, were considered as low as a dog. All right, And what the Samaritans were, they were a mixed race of people that were basically uh, Jewish people Uh, from an exile that occurred that you read about in the Old Testament where uh, the Syrians actually came and took the Jewish people, into the Israelites, into exile. And the intermarrying between those two races actually created the Samaritan people. Um, They had some very similar religious beliefs. They had very similar uh, look about them as far as their physical features. But a Samaritan and a Jew had nothing to do with each other, and Jesus calls it out. He says, "A despised Samaritan." But this guy, who is the despised Samaritan, he kneels beside him, he soothes his wounds with medicine and bandages them. He puts them on his own, puts him on his own donkey, and took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper some money and told him to take care of this guy. If his bill runs higher than that, he says, I'll pay the difference the next time I'm here. He goes over, above, and beyond for this man that looks at him with, you know, disdain, who hates his guts based on his racial makeup. Now, Jesus, after he tells that story, he says, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? And wouldn't you believe that the guy that Jesus is talking to who is a Jew he can't even mouth the words the Samaritan? He says the man who showed him mercy. Couldn't even say the Samaritan because he got the point of the story. Right? Now there are other there's other Aspects to this story, but the, there are deep racial implications in this story that often get missed. That I want to point out and I wanted us to talk about a little bit. Yeah. And let me ask you guys this from your experience growing up in this country um, as young men and being black, what has been your experience with what Jesus defines as your neighbor? What does that mean?
2: We're at we're we're as as a people we're starting at a deficit. With that understanding, I don't think that, especially in America, okay. in the West, we lack that understanding. My neighbor in in America is who I who I acknowledges who I acknowledge in my likeness, who I acknowledge in who speaks the same way, who dresses the same way, who who embraces the same culture as me. That's my neighbor, someone who I can sit down at the table with and break bread. At least that's what we're taught.
0: Okay.
2: Um in the society we live in, but I believe that if we really took on what Jesus is saying here, um then the the neighbor is the homeless guy you drive past every day you go to work. Mm-hmm. Um it is your next-door neighbor who you don't even know their your their kids' names, you know what I mean? Um, it is the teachers at your kid's school, like you know, it's it's your boss, it's it's whoever you're crossing paths with, despite how you feel about them mm-hmm. or despite how they feel about you, even. So I think that we got it wrong <laughs> as a people, yeah, and in, in the way that you know we're taught who our neighbors are.
1: What's been your experience? Don, um, because you mentioned one formative story earlier in, in this podcast, um, but what's been your experience generally from Christians with regard to uh, seeing
3: you as their neighbor? So I think this is very similar to what Dave just said, um, specifically with Christians. And they even take it a step further than that because it's no longer, they make it about. Who worship us like this? So that's where the denominations come in. Where I know everyone gets confused about Baptist, Catholic, all that. Like just nonsense that they put up for their church service, and then they even take a step further after that, and it th- it does turn into uh, who look like me, or who do I who do I choose to consider my neighbor? Or like yeah. who I'm comfortable with? Yeah, who I'm comfortable with, because yeah. um, even. Like I've gotten and looks at and talked to from people in the church that are black, and you know from both sides. So you get it from any race where they use that term neighbor as who they choose to be comfortable with. Right. Like no one's is will, no one's willing to be uncomfortable to accept someone else as their neighbor, no matter if they're in need or not.
1: Yeah, the irony of this of this story is that Jesus' definition of neighbor is very similar to his what he said with regard to, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. right? He's preparing these guys when he tells this story, and he's talking to a group of people at large, but his disciples are within earshot of this, and he's preparing these guys for this idea that you're going to be doing this with people who don't necessarily look like you, talk right. like you, You know, eat like you, smell like you, whatever. Like, anybody can be your neighbor, right? Everybody is your neighbor. Mm -hmm. And he even goes as far as to say the despised Samaritan, meaning like even somebody that you have these thoughts or feelings about that are rooted in some sort of history. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know what I'm saying? In this case, racial history. Um, And this is an indictment, I believe, on the American church, right this is an indictment on american christianity because when we look at our relationship right you know we have taken it beyond neighbor and we're family right? right but like at the very least one of the things that happens here is that this despised samaritan showed empathy so let me ask you this question when you hear about empathy and specifically in the context of like cross-cultural friendships or cross-cultural experience. How hard is it for you to show someone who is not like you empathy? How difficult is that for you?
3: It's not. I think... So for me, it's about... understanding and seeing the need like i can't walk past like i put myself in that story and not in saying like oh make it about me but if i was the Samaritan walking past someone that was just got beat up left for dead how can i continue to go about my day knowing that i just saw this person that's pretty much left for dead they got robbed beat up he's dying and not do anything right like to even stop and to just check up on them like how could you live with yourself after mm. that you know what I mean like, I do
1: and I think that's Jesus' point right like you know for whatever reason the two the Jewish priest and the temple assistant and I think he chose those specifically for a reason because they're religious folks right like he's not only making a point about the fact that there's a racial component but he's also making a spiritual statement there like like these people who are pious who claim to be whatever they claim to be will just walk past, right? Um I think empathy is an important aspect of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, right? Dave, how about you? Like is what do you what are your thoughts on like how difficult is it for you to show empathy for someone that's not necessarily like you?
2: Um, I, I agree with what Don stated as far as like and not being uh a surface issue I think it becomes Because it's not even about the person right. For me um, it's, it's Am I willing to do that? Whether the man or woman looks like me <laughs> Or is relatable Is my own Is just dealing with myself Like coming beyond myself right. In my heart And saying But that's my last bit of money Yeah But I don't know what they're gonna use it for Right And it's like Only because of Jesus and having a desire to be compassionate towards others. Am I able to even take a step forward to want to be compassionate towards them or serve them? And it's like, I know that's a fact because in my own mind, walking throughout life, it's it's hard to be intentional by yourself. To just want to love on others and despite how they move around you we are conditioned to be aware of our surroundings we're conditioned to be on alert like i don't care who you are anybody who drives through the hood is gonna be on alert i don't care like even if you're from the hood you're on alert in the hood because it's just we're not conditioned to deal with danger that way like So
1: So you're saying it's more out of self-preservation than it is racism. It's
2: not a race. Yeah, it's never been a racial issue for me. It's always been a um, a wellness issue. It's been a heart issue.
1: That's the, the, the crux of the message of this story is like these folks, why Jesus chose to say a Jewish priest in a temple uh, servant, right. Is like, he's trying to show that piety on the one hand, right. And then the complete disregard for the person's humanity on yeah. the other. Right. And yeah. that's, and that's the difficulty. Right. And that's, that's why I said this is an indictment on the church in a lot of ways. Right. And, and let me say this, cause I, I, I want to share my perspective on this just a little bit as a white man. Right. Like, so this whole conversation that we're having about racial reconciliation, one of the, one of the, Pieces of feedback that I'm expecting from this, and it it will be in the form of criticism, is like, oh, here we go with this white guilt conversation again. And what I want to nip in the bud right now, because this is what we're talking about, this story debunks that thought process from the very beginning. Because this story isn't about somebody feeling guilty. This story is about somebody feeling empathy, right? right? A person who who you know just sees that human being as a human being, as as a as an image bearer that God has created. Um, and then on top of that, as a Christian, how much more am I supposed to look at God's creation, brothers and sisters, whomever? How much more am I supposed to see them as? image bearers, right? right? How much more am I supposed to as a Christ follower have empathy and love in my heart for people, right? Especially people who based on the you know the mission of what a Christian is called to be that are not like me, that don't look like me, right? That that, that aren't that are not from my culture, that do not speak the same language as me, right? Like it's it, it's always been a really really difficult thing. In dealing with people who are from my own circle, you know, as 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 a white person in America, who would who would argue that this conversation I'm perpetuating some you know white guilt syndrome or something, right? When in reality, what I'm talking about is like, no, like I love the two of you. I don't feel guilty because you guys are black and I'm white. I'm right. Like it has nothing to do with it. My my life has been dedicated to this simply because God has put love in my heart for the two of you. Regardless of whether you're black, purple, green. And that's to say, and I like what you said earlier, Don. It's not to say that I'm lessening the fact that you guys are black men. What I'm saying is is that I recognize your blackness and celebrate our difference and love you just the same. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, And I think that's what this story is. The story is, is a recognition by someone who is actually hated by the Jewish people and he still sees the humanity in the dude who's laying on the ground about to die. And how could you not, like you said, Don, how could you not have empathy for someone in those circumstances? And how much more should we have empathy for those who need to hear the gospel? Yeah. Right? yeah, Right? Who need that connection that may, for and it may be a connection from someone who doesn't necessarily look like him that's the whole like crux and impetus of missions you know what I mean is to go to a people because Christ commanded us to because of the love of God in our hearts right like so I don't know guys like I I, I want to land this airplane at some point here but like <laughs> you know the scripture here is is really telling. You guys have any thought? Like, what are some of your closing thoughts on what we just shared in the scripture
2: here? Um, I mean, the big takeaway for me is is really just knowing that you don't walk this earth alone, um, despite what you've been told. Um, Especially being a black man in this world, you know, my my father used to say, um, "You got two strikes against you already." And you haven't even graduated high school yet. He used to say that to me all the time, and he wasn't so much saying be concerned about like what you're doing. He was he was saying be prepared mm. for what others are gonna do, or how others may react. Right. Um, and he was he was kind of like setting up this understanding like it's not you, it's not your fault. Like you're you're being different. Um, when you go into a store or or school and you get certain looks you know at a grocery store 711 it's like he was preparing me mentally and emotionally like it's not your job to flip out it's not your job to react um in an uproar there's something wrong like he was preparing my heart like there's something wrong son i want you to know this mm. before you leave my house there's already something wrong. You have two strikes against you, and it's not your fault. Um, and hearing the story is kind of like the end of that, mm. right? So it's like, yes, it's not your fault, but people like you may walk past you, you know? But those who, who value you as a man, those who value you the way that God values you, they will come alongside you. Right. They will join you. They will help pick you up. They will love on you despite what the world says. Yeah. Right.
3: Yeah, that's good, man. Yeah. Don, any closing thoughts? A lot. <laughs> um but I think the biggest thing for me right now is that just hearing that story. Um, yes, obviously it talks about race, it talks about culture, but we said it throughout the podcast earlier. Like they specifically use this phrase saying it's a heart issue because that sin of uh, being comfortable with a certain group of people versus another or prejudice or having a bias. Yeah. It's all a sin of comfortability and not having a willingness to go beyond yourself to love someone.
1: Or that to, comfortability is rooted in our sin nature. Yeah, that comfortability right? is rooted
3: yeah. in the sin nature of sameness. Right. And it's unwillingness to look at someone and see them as someone that, that's in need or that they're another human being. Like, I just think about black people with a light skin versus dark skin topic, with the white versus black, the American versus immigrant, people of color versus white people. Like, there's so many different ways that we can attack this topic from. Yeah. And how can we expect people to look at someone at, with value if we don't as Christians teach them that value comes from God. You know what I mean? Like we were made in God's image and that is where the value comes from. And if we don't teach that or talk about that, the the racial conversation is going to go nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. Like, even in the in the politics of immigrants, like if we as a people can't look at them as humans, like why the conversation can't go anywhere? Right. So, it's, it's beyond just the color of our skin, and it may have morphed into that, morphed into that ugly monster where people are just talking about the color of your skin. Like, that's so shallow. Yeah. Like, your issue is much deeply, uh, deeper rooted than that. Sure. Like, you're just scratching the surface, and whether you were taught that or whatever the case may be, you were raised that way, um, it's very shallow, and I'm like... You gotta dig deeper. Like it's much bigger than you being comfortable. Like it just doesn't make sense anymore.
1: And that's for all sides of the things, right? Like that's for white, black, whoever. You know, going beyond the surface level in relationship, right? Right. And and understanding, like Dave said, that you're not going to do this by yourself. Right. Right. So here are my closing thoughts, and and you know I want this to to ring true. Um, The gospel is about Jesus. First and foremost, um, the good news of Jesus Christ of his, you know, his death, resurrection, and his return um, are that's the 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 core message, the message of Christianity. But what comes with that are implications in the life of a person who follows Jesus, and this conversation that we're having is the is one of the implications. It's one of the things that happens in you when you're transformed from the inside out, and yet. What I find is is that people, uh, they want to have this this eternal security without having a uh, experience where that transformation happens in the now, right? We want to have all this heaven talk and all this eternal security of heaven, but we don't want to live like we're followers of Christ in the now. And those are the implications. Those are the things that the the one and others that the Bible talks about, right? And so. At the same time, we also have to acknowledge that there are differences. We're created differently, right. right? Like, even one of the things that we've talked about over the years together is just, like, the very difference that white people and black people, how we view, for instance, uh, life. Um, you know, it's been my experience that black people tend to view life from a very centralized as a people group, right? right? Where white folks... We don't tend to roll that way. We tend to be much more individualistic or very family centered, you know, in the sense of like, just if, if people have the same last name, we're, we're kind of in that structure as opposed to as a, you know, white people as a people group. So like we're already coming at things when we discuss things across that cultural barrier. We're coming at it from two very different places, right? So if if the conversation, like you said, Don, is starting from that surface level of race or skin color, we're missing it, right? The conversation is a spiritual conversation, Everything is spiritual, and it's a heart issue. Like Dave said, it's a, it's a thing that, that we have to take ownership of. We are sinners by nature. Our heart is, is dark by nature, and it's in need of a Savior. It's in need of a, of, a, of a truth that's called the gospel. And then from there, once we've identified that, then we start to see how that connects to the world around us. And one of those things, unfortunately, that, that connects to, whether we like it or not, is this issue of race. And so, listener, if you're listening to this, I want to challenge you from today's conversation to get to know people who are not like you, to go beyond the surface, and to, if you're a Christian especially, I want to challenge you that in your transformation as a believer in Jesus Christ, from that transformation, start to wrestle with the implications of the gospel and how that fleshes out in your life. Are you living on mission? Are you, are you one of those people who is going to the ends of the earth? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth are you talking to people or are you getting to know people who are not like you my wife mentioned that earlier just just getting to know people is, is a start we can't do this alone we're not intended to do this alone and more importantly Christ has commanded us to take this to the world and that's what we're doing in this podcast God bless you